Welcome to Rome Christian Center. We are so glad that you are with us here today. If you are local to the Rome, New York area, we would like to invite you to join us 10 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on Sundays. We are located at 7985 Turin Road in Rome, New York. Let's join the service as we believe God has something in store for you today. There are probably not just three, but there's three uh, activities, you might say, going on before the throne of God. And I want to look at those tonight, just one in particular. And, uh, and the title of my message is Silencing the Accuser. So there's, in, in heaven there's, there's worship going on before the throne of God. In Revelation chapter 4, in verse 7, it says, and the four, verse 8, Revelation 4, verse 8, and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy you, worthy are you, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and, be, and for thy pleasure they were and are created. So there's, there's constant worship going on before the throne of God. The other thing that goes on in heaven is intercession. In Hebrews chapter 7 it says that Jesus is raised, Jesus is raised at the right hand of the, sitting at the right hand of the Father who makes intercession for us. You know, one thing, I just, I think I used to have that kind of picture in my mind. When Jesus descended into heaven, he was seated at the right hand of the Father and he's just kind of sitting there. Well, he's not just sitting there waiting for the millennium. He's interceding for his church. He's interceding for you and for me, to, for us to, to be the people he's, he's called us to be, to make it to the end. He's interceding for us so that we can be vic, victorious in him. But there's one other activity that I want to look at tonight. And it's found in Revela Revelation chapter 12. In verse 10 it says, Now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, to the, have come for the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And they loved, and they loved not their lives even unto death. But it says the accuser of the brethren will be thrown down, he who accuses them before God day and night. I don't understand so I don't understand some things, but it seems like the devil has access to the throne of God. But we see that in the book of Job in the first chapter. Remember it says the sons of God came to present themselves before God and Satan came and God said, Where have you been? He said, Oh roaming the earth to and fro. But he's the accuser of the brethren. He did, that, he did that with Job. He accused him to God. Now Job was the most righteous man on the planet. 
So he, wasn't, he didn't have a lot of sin in his life. So what, what the devil does is he questions his character. He says, yeah, the only reason why he serves you is because you bless him. If you stop blessing you, he'll spit in your face. It's the only reason why. So he, he really questions Job's motives. And that's what he did in the garden in, with Adam and Eve. He questions God's motive. He's saying, you know, God knows that if you eat the fruit of that tree, you're going to be like him. And he doesn't want you to be like him. He's, just, he's jealous. He's possessive. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. And so he questions. But he's accusing the brethren day and night. And that's, he does that to us. He accuses us to God and he accuses us to us. What gives him, what gives him the opportunity? Well, you and I are not perfect. I was thinking of that scripture in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain, uh, brought, Cain and Abel brought their sacrifice to God. It says Cain brought a sacrifice of the fruit of the ground, which is symbolic of, uh, of natural effort. But it said Abel brought the firstlings of his flock in their fat portions. So he brought a blood sacrifice to God, and that was, and that was acceptable to God. But in, in dealing with Cain, God says, you know, Cain, sin, sin is crouching after you, and his desire is for you. Uh, let me read that. Yeah, sin is crouching at the door, and it's desirous, but yeah, but you must master it. And I thought, you know, that that applies to him, but it also applies to me. I think every one of us on this planet, it's like you could say, sin is crouching at the door, and it's desirous for us, but we have to master it. I mean, that's why temptation comes. Temptation to to be angry or upset or to, to be full of self-pity or rejection, all these negative things the enemy is trying to put upon us, but we need to take authority over him, and become victorious in Jesus' name. He accuses us before God. You know, he says things like, I don't know, I can't, I don't know what he says exactly, but you, know, you can't bless them. Look the way they're acting. Look at how this guy treats his wife. Oh, look at how he treats his kids. Oh, you know he's stealing from his boss, or whatever. You know, he accuses us before God day and night. And he also accuses us to us. He's always wanting to remind us of what a failure we were, of the failures we've had in our lives, the shortcomings before we knew the Lord, and even after we knew the Lord, the mistakes that we've made as Christians try to make us feel guilty and ashamed and unworthy. He wants to hinder us in our walk and get us to pull back and say, that's right, I'm not worthy of God's blessing. I'm not worthy of God's anointing. I'm not worthy of God's giftings. But, that he, but we want to silence the accuser who wants to remind us of our past, how foolish we were. God has a destiny for all of us. If we're going to walk in it, we cannot, we must not listen to the accuser of the brethren. So how do we silence the, the voice of the accuser? Well, I'm just going to talk about two things tonight, repentance and forgiveness. First of all, repentance. Repentance is putting first things first. The, the, the definition of the word is to change your mind. But in the New Testament, it always means a turning from sin and a turning to God. So it's more than just a, a mental thing. It's an action that follows it. It's a decision. I'm turning away from this problem, whatever it is. And I'm turning back to God. And it's essential, it's essential in, our, in, our, in our first coming to God. In Matthew chapter 2, it says, John the Baptist's message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. 
Jesus' message was the same thing. When Jesus had to preach, he preached the same thing. His, his message was repent for the kingdom of heaven is in here. In Luke chapter 24, when Jesus was, was one of the last things Jesus said to his disciples. It says in verse 45, then he opened their minds to the understanding of the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are a witness of these things. So he instructed his disciples to go out and preach. He said, preach repentance first and forgiveness of sins. In Peter's message on the, on the, day, of, on the day of Pentecost, when, the, when his message was done and the, and the people said, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, it talks about the elementary, the elementary teaching about the Christ. It says in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God, of instructions about baptisms and the laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. But again, the first thing to mention that we should know is about repentance. Now in Hebrews, they, it, it doesn't say just repentance. It says repentance from dead works. And dead works are, are works that originate in us. They're our own effort to try to come to God. You know, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give money to the church. I'm going to be kind to people. I'm going to bless charities. I'm going to be a good person. All that is... In Isaiah, it's called filthy rags. Your own effort is called filthy rags. But God wants us to, to give up trying to save ourselves and accept the sacrifice that he made for us. And so, even, so before we come to God, the first thing is repentance, turning our hearts to God. And even after we've come to God, if there's, if there's sin in our life, we need to repent and, and give, it to, give it to God. In Revelation, in the book of Revelation, and the Apostle John wrote seven letters to seven churches. And in five of those letters, he said they had to repent. They had error, some error in the church. He said, you need to repent. And if you don't repent, I'm going to take your, your candlestick away. Or you won't be a church anymore. So even, even if, as Christians, even if we miss it, we need to repent. And repentance has an aspect of of sorrow to it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it, Paul talks about a letter that he wrote to the church at Corinth. And in that letter, obviously, he, he brought some correction to somebody's life. And he, and he talks about it in this chapter. And in verse 8, it says, For though I caused you... First, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, to, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer the loss of anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So there's two There's two kind of definitions of sorrow. The sorrow of the world is that produces death. In other words, you're not really... You know, we've, we've seen it over the years. Politicians that get caught having an affair. 
and they come before them, they say, oh, I'm so sorry I offended, I hurt my family, I did it. And I thought, you're not sorry, you're just sorry it's wrong, and you're sorry you got caught. If you hadn't been caught, you'd still be doing it. But there's a repentance, the Bible says, a godly repentance, a godly, a godly sorrow that leads to repentance. There's something in you that's, 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 that's sorry that you offended God, that you, that you have this sin in your life, this shortcoming in your life, and you want to get rid of it, so you repent. You, you say, God, I'm sorry, but I'm coming to you to change. Just like the prodigal son, when he finally realized the error of his ways, he didn't just say he was sorry, but he went back to the father. And he said, Father, here, take me back as one of your servants. He was willing to humble himself and turn from his wicked ways, you might say, and live for God. So the first thing is repent. If we have something in our life and, and, uh, that, that's kind of a consistent shortcoming, we want, and we know that God doesn't want it, then we give it to God and say, God... In Jesus' name, I give it to you. I repent of this, whatever, this depression, this, this anxiety, this offense. I repent of harboring that in my heart. And I turn my heart to you, God. And I open the door for you to come and bless me. And after repentance, forgiveness. Receiving the forgiveness that is available to us because of the cross. True repentance puts us in a position to receive forgiveness. Again, some of the same scriptures that we read earlier. In Luke chapter 24, it says that we need to preach repentance and forgiveness of sins. So it's more than just repentance. It's more than just turning it's turning to God, but receiving the forgiveness for our sins that he's purchased for us so that we can be free from its effect. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, again, Peter's message said, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. In Acts chapter 10, when Peter was at Cornelius' house, it says in verse 43, of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So the Apostle Paul tells him repentance and forgiveness of sins cleanses us from all sin. In Isaiah 43, in verse 25, it says, I, even I, are the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. Let me read that again. It's a powerful scripture. Let me read it again. Isaiah 43, verse 25. I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake and will not remember your sins. When God forgives, he forgives entirely. He forgives completely. And the record is expunged. It's no longer there. If the devil wants to bring it up, Jesus, Jesus can look at, you know, if he had books, he'd look at the books. He'd say, well, I don't see it. It's not in here. Because when God forgives, he forgives. In Psalm 103, in verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God, when he forgives, he, t he doesn't say, he doesn't hold it in his heart and bring it up sometime later. He lets it go and totally, in, in 1 John 1, 9, is a familiar scripture. It says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's amazing. Well, if we forgive our if we if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and making us a, a, a pure and holy again, so that God can bless us. God's forgiveness is total and it's complete. 
In Acts 23 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul was brought before the Jewish leaders. He starts off his defense before them by saying, Brethren, I have lived my life with a perfectly good conscience until now. And one of the, and one, and the high priest slapped him. He says, how can, you, how can you say that? You know, you and I both know that Paul, before he was converted, he, was a, he murdered Christians. But he, after he received God's forgiveness, he could say, I've, lived my, I've served God with a perfectly good conscience. If Paul can serve God with a good conscience, so can we, because I know I haven't done what he did. In, in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, How much more will the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So we, one, one of the things that's hard to do sometimes, especially if you've done something seems particularly egre- egregious, it's hard to receive that forgiveness to really feel like you're free from it. Somebody might be ashamed of what they've done, and if you ask them, uh, did, did you ask God to forgive you? They say yes. And then you say, well, did he forgive you? And they, and I've, I know I've met people that said, yes, I know he forgave me. But they know that they're saying yes because they know it's the right answer. But in their heart, they're still, they're still carrying his guilt and his shame. Don't let the devil do that to you. Don't let, him, don't let him accuse you to you and cause you to come up short of anything that God wants for you. If we've, if we've been forgiven, if we've repented and been forgiven, then we have to remember what it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. There is not, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the spirit of life in Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. So stop allowing the enemy to condemn you, to put you down, to make you feel ashamed or guilty and tell you that you're somehow you're disqualified. No, you're, in God you're forgiven. If you repent and receive his forgiveness, then we, it's like there's a clean slate. We can start all over with him and become the people that he's called us to be. So God, God doesn't want us to give the enemy any ammunition to use against us. But if we repent, truly repent, and receive the forgiveness of God, then we can go on and, and serve him with a clear conscience and be the people he's called us to be and silence the, the words of the accuser in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is available for everyone, that you never hold back, that your mercy and your grace are sufficient for us to receive forgiveness of our sins cleanse us from all righteousness and restore us to your to right relationship with you. I pray for everyone here, Lord. I pray that if there's anything in their life that needs to be dealt with, that they'll repent and receive your forgiveness and walk free in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you so much for being with us today. Our prayer is that your life be enriched through the power of God's word and that you be filled with his love and strength as you daily serve him. To learn more about our service times and our ministry and how it is that you can partner with us, visit us online today at romechristiancenter.com.